Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your hosts, Oxygen Advantage founder Patrick McKeown and Daniel Paulson. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. You might have seen that press release, which was really interesting. And it's talking about a pro athlete. So this is from the Washington Post, trained with tape over her mouth. So she's, as far as I know, she's the world number one in tennis, but I stand to be corrected. Um, She's from Poland. And the whole conversation, I suppose this brings on a bit of shock, not not to us. Um, And that's the conversation that we're going to have. This is something that we've been advocating for over 20 years. And I'm joined with Shimena, if I pronounced her name correctly. And she's from Colombia and she's got a lot of deep roots in tennis. Uh, her husband is a tennis coach. And um, we're going to have a conversation and also with Daniel. So Daniel is a former pro tennis player. And I'm going to take a back seat. So I'm going to just sit here and listen to you guys. So. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I can imagine a lot of people, the reason it got so many headlines, that photograph has gone viral pretty much. I went in on Instagram that day and it was everywhere. Um, And people are talking about it. It's great to see. But the strange thing is when she was asked, what was it for? She wasn't sure. That's what we need to entangle. It's all yours. Thank you, Patrick. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you want to start, Daniel, for, since you're a former tennis player, uh, because that's something very important. Iga seemed not to have clear why she and for what, what are the benefits behind that tape? And we can go ahead and share. Yeah, well, I, I don't know uh, either, but I do know uh, at that level, you know, you have, a, uh, doesn't matter what sport, you have all these uh, coaches uh, around you that kind of tell you, what you're doing it for and they they have an innate trust in their coaches to do certain things and they they may just do certain things and then they explain it along the way so i don't i don't know the case here but uh the tape that I, that you developed patrick so i guess it looks like this uh and i think it's good because it's also orange but it's got got a little hole in it so people, the tape she used is different uh and i don't know when you developed this patrick it's been it's been around for for ages so it's one of those things that's uh, just been brought up to light. So um, as a f- former tennis player myself, uh, it's very interesting to see. And I think also in, in, in a few years, we'll see more of this uh, just, you know, focusing on breathing in, in different ways. But this is the first time I see somebody mouth taping uh, while they're practicing. I haven't seen that before. I don't know if you've done that, Patrick. I've seen it with um, the Wallabies. The Australian rugby team, and they were taped up with this massive duct tape, grey duct tape, and they were sprinting up hills, you know. So I wasn't sure if it was a performance thing or if it was something for social media. I would doubt if it was something solely for social media. Sometimes people like attention. So I suppose to tease it out, why would you switch from mouth to nose breathing? I'll kind of just talk a little bit about it and then jump in as you do. So it's more difficult. We we know that. But 
this is where we're adding an extra a load onto the the breathing muscles and i think there's many many facets to it you know we know the human nose performs everything in terms of breathing that the mouth simply doesn't nose breathing it adds a resistance to breathing that's two to three times that of the mouth by doing that it's helping to improve breathing from a biochemical dimension so what does that mean well if you do your physical exercise especially training as she is doing here with her mouth closed she's training her body to do more with less she's improving her tolerance to carbon dioxide carbon dioxide is the primary stimulus to breathe if you can tolerate higher carbon dioxide in the blood you can push yourself harder and faster with less ventilation. She's going to have more reserve in the tank. She's less likely to gas out too soon. There's a second aspect is the biomechanical dimension. So she's adding an extra load onto the diaphragm breathing muscle, but also by breathing through the nose, you tend to breathe deeper and you tend to recruit greater, greater movement of the diaphragm than with mouth breathing. So she's strengthening her diaphragm and she's also improving function of the diaphragm. And that's very important because if you have a stronger diaphragm, it's less likely to fatigue, but also you can do more with less. So you will have less degree of breathlessness for the same intensity of physical exercise. Like it kind of makes sense. And then there's a psychological component to it. You know, you're doing your physical exercise and it's pretty tough doing it with mouth taped. And that's why we wouldn't always recommend doing extreme stuff. No sprinting, for example, with the mouth taped. You want to add an extra load to the body, but you don't want to overdo it because a good stress can become a bad stress. You're exposing your body to a degree of air hunger that's a lot stronger than, so she's doing a rally there. With her mouth taped, the air hunger is stronger. She's training herself not to react to the discomfort of the air hunger because breathlessness can be off-putting. So there's a psychological aspect to it. Um, I think there's a whole lot going on there, you know. I think it's a really interesting thing. I I would have loved if she hadn't known what's happening. You know, the research is coming out. And even long term, if you bring that into your training regime, while it is, it is tougher at the beginning, your body adapts to the higher tolerance of CO2, the air hunger diminishes, and your performance is improving. It's, it's a very simple thing to do with a lot of gains, you know. What what are your thoughts, guys? Uh, what do you think about concentration and focus regarding uh, working with the tape, for example? I mean, I know we know about uh, blood flow, in this part of the brain and everything, but regarding also working and just being there, having your attention all being and your breath and controlling it back to kind of get the um, discomfort away. Mm. So that's something I think it's very important to, to, I mean, it helps a lot also for concentration and focus, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, uh, the, the tape puts focus on the breath in a different way versus if you just tell somebody, focus on your breathing, this, this forces you in a different way. So when I train uh, tennis players, I usually have, you know, before, during and after those three sections and i usually focus on the recovery side this is where most people start and focus on because it's the easiest way for many for many reasons and then you go to before and then during what they've done here i don't know if they've done that but they and then i focus on changeovers which is the time like a micro reset in between games and then in between points and then in between first and second serve all these micro resets 
but they're they're doing this tape while practicing, which is for me the last step because now you really need to know how to you know use your breathing in, in the right way. But sometimes that forces you to kind of I guess it elevates it right up to to the top right away. So there are many different ways. Uh, it's always interesting to see. Uh, but uh, what I normally do is you know focus on after and before before I actually move into the actual uh during uh but it, it's interesting patrick to see that most athletes that you see are usually on the recovery side and now you see somebody in practice doing this there may be for other reasons as well but it's i, I think it's great i think it's uh, overall it's great uh, and I, mm-hmm. sorry daniel uh and i think it's very important because to, for people to know that doing this right from the start it may not be either comfortable or good for your practice you have to have a training as you said as you mentioned we usually work in turnovers recovery doing the training to get the world i mean to get but the body used to the the, uh, the lack of i mean the excess of, of co2 that biochemical uh or the breathlessness the thing to get used to it and then you can go to start a little get in the cords put your tape on because i've i've done it with my players Put the tape on, but just like when they're kind of starting to hit the ball, very, I mean, the first five, 10 minutes and see how it works. But once they start the rallies, they usually, I mean, it's too uncomfortable. You can go there if you want to, but it's usually very uncomfortable. It's got like hitting the, like the top of the, 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 the training. So it's very important for people to know that it's not something you can go out. I'll, I'll take my mouth and just go into the court and try to do it. Yeah, maybe she just, I don't know uh, if she used it just for warm-up. I don't know if she did the whole practice or on and off. There are different ways. So uh, I don't know. So you don't have to use it the whole time. And in tennis, it's also like some players, especially, you know, they breathe in out. They, they almost go like that when they when they hit a shot. So I don't know exactly how she does it. So that would impact maybe her game a little bit. So maybe they just did it for five or ten minutes. I don't know. But again very interesting to see that this is you know this is coming into light which is not a new thing like patrick it's been around for for a long time but but i think this is this is a good way because she could have just kept her mouth shut and nobody would have noticed so just by having that you know people notice so i think you know just like the sports mask uh you know people notice when you put something on because otherwise you don't notice so i think it's great and i think just from from she's doing it other people will look into it and they will start doing similar things or other things in breathing. So I, I overall, uh, great. And I've seen a lot of top athletes last, I would say six to 12 months doing a lot of breathing exercise, but especially on the recovery side, especially on the recovery side. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Let's one just thing. look at one that. Thing. Yeah. One thing. Because I asked this a lot, I got asked this a lot, and I explained it, but I anyway, it would be good to hear it from you. Several people told me there has to be a lack of oxygen, because since what people feel is breathlessness, so they think they're lacking oxygen, and when if her mouth is taped, if everyone is telling me there has to be a lack of oxygen, mm. and that's not true. I mean. No, we've so much reserve of oxygen in the human body. And even during pretty intense physical exercise, we can be exhaling 25% of the oxygen that we bring in. 
you know, the air hunger that we experience, as you pointed out, Shamina, is, is not oxygen. It's a buildup of carbon dioxide. So the human body is very sensitive to the accumulation of carbon dioxide. So you can imagine the tennis player, they're really moving their muscles. Carbon dioxide is generated as a byproduct of their metabolic activity. That carbon dioxide is coming into the blood. That blood is coming back to the lungs. But of course, when the mouth is closed, the carbon dioxide isn't able to leave the body quickly enough. So the carbon dioxide increases in the lungs and then it increases in the blood leaving the lungs which is slightly dropping blood pH, which the brain, of course, is reacting by increasing the stimulus to breathe, so that air of hunger. Um, you, it's almost as if you're deliberately disturbing the blood acid base. And there's another thing that we forgot to mention about, to improve the buffering capacity. So, you, you know, you're, you're doing physical exercise with your mouth closed to increase CO2 in the blood, which in turn is going to drop blood pH, which may be forced, there's an increase of hydrogen ion there, which may be forcing an increase of the buffering capacity. Now we can go one step more. We bring breath holding in and that's at another level, you know, and I think I liked what Daniel was talking about earlier on in terms of breathing exercises in sports. So I'm gonna pull up just when I was thinking about when we were gonna have a conversation today, has this been written about before? Are there papers and different articles out there? There's a few. There's not a whole lot, but it's quite interesting what, what is out there. This is a very nice little article that was written by Professor Michael Flannel, The Athlete's Secret Ingredient, The Power of Nasal Breathing. And he talks about everything that, that we talk about and it's more that we're using nasal breathing as a training load to cause the body to make adaptations. It's it's not, and of course, observing Roger Federer, age 37, ranked number three in men's singles in 2018 by the association, show that Federer's mouth is almost all, always completely closed during competitions. On the other hand, Naomi Osaka, ages 21, winner of the US Open, frequently appear to be mouth breathing during play between sets and during the award ceremony. So, however, will her stamina hold up over time as with Roger Federer? And it's a good question. Serena that Williams. Very interesting, Patrick. What, yeah. When is this article from? This is 2018. No, sorry, 2019. Just to go back, this is super interesting because we can get into the breathing for women is different than for men. So let's get yes. back to But there is... Is a particular uh, taking Roger Federer first. There is a uh, many uh, videos from him on YouTube and Instagram, but there's one especially with I think 40 shots in Australian Open with him and Rafael Nadal just going back and forth in 35 degree heat, back and forth, just unbelievable point. But afterwards, they just breathe with their noses only, both of them actually. But Federer is is always very relaxed. And that's also why he could last so long playing until he was like 40 years old. And also because he, he lasts very long in, in, in matches. But on the other hand, Naomi Osaka, she, I think, I don't know exactly, but she um, she didn't play, she hasn't played for like two years or something for mental problems. She was the world number one, I believe, a few years ago. And I don't know if there's a link between her, you know, because if you, if, you, if you get stressed and you mouth breathe, you know, that aggravates it. So what's your thought on that, Patrick? Now, when you know that, like, 
Yeah, you know what? If you see a tennis player and they're disproportionately breathless during training, it's not their breathing during training that's the problem. It's their breathing outside the 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 court. It's how is the person breathing during their everyday? And if they if she had a habit, regardless and irrespective of the training that she's done, physical training does not improve your breathing patterns unless you add an extra load onto your breathing. One sport that does that is swimming. But typically physical exercise with the mouth open doesn't improve breathing patterns. That's why it's very important to bring in breathing techniques. Now, how common is it for athletes to have dysfunctional breathing? And this is also going to, this is going to apply to pretty much all sports. Now, when I first came across this paper, this is 2022, the results I thought were just off the wall. I wasn't expecting this amount. This was a survey of 1,933 athletes. And this is a fairly recent paper. It's only a year or so old. And they looked at these athletes from 2017 to 2020. They assessed their breathing using what's called the high-low test. The individuals are lying on their back with their knees bent. The examiner is testing if they're breathing high in the upper chest. Remember what you said about Naomi Osaka with mental health issues? Was she breathing fast in upper chest breathing, which is reinforcing and feeding into that stress response? Are these kids and athletes, are they taught how to be more resilient and to self-regulate in terms of their breathing, which in turn is going to translate into better breathing during sports? But look at the dysfunctional breathing patterns. Now, what is dysfunctional breathing? Dysfunctional breathing is when your breathing is under power. Your breathing can be a little bit faster and harder, upper chest, irregular. And this is going to affect your physical performance, but it's also going to affect your mental performance. It can affect your sleep. You can have disproportionate breathlessness. You're more prone to injury. So there's a number of very important aspects here because breathing often gets overlooked. 90% of athletes had dysfunctional breathing. So out of the 1,900 athletes, 1,751 had dysfunctional breathing. Athletes with good recruitment of the diaphragm. So you can imagine the stress on the body in terms of all of those movements, you need good recruitment of the diaphragm to provide stabilization of the spine. Only 9.4% of athletes in our sample had good recruitment of the diaphragm. And if we look a little bit in more detail, the highest percentages of dysfunctional breathing, middle school kids, followed by elementary, 91%, high school, 90%, professional and semi-professional athletes, 87.5%. Collegiate athletes, 84.8%. A lot of dysfunctional breeders. So it's coming back to your points. Yeah. it's That's something uh, people have find it difficult to understand, that they are so well-conditioned. I mean, they work so much with their body. They find it very difficult to understand that their breathing is not well. I mean, that they have dysfunctional breathing. So that's something to make awareness of. That not because you are very well trained, your breathing is right. I pretty much think that, for example, you see in tennis, most of them, I mean, top ranked players, women or men, are mouth breathers, even when they're sitting down in the turnovers. And it's just a bad habit. I mean, just, just not knowing that you can close your mouth, breathe through your mouth and all the benefits that it has when you can close your mouth and start breathing your mouth, mouth how much recovery how much recovery you gain, the capacity to recover faster when you just close your mouth. It's just a bad habit, something 
And that's something people don't know. I, they think they need to. It's just a bad habit. And you can correct me here, Patrick, but I think the brain as the nervous system only sends the instruction to the mouth to open up when oxygen saturation is between 50, 55%, when it's, we're, we're pretty much uh, fainted by then. So as a reaction, as a, a nervous system reaction, the, the brain only sends the mouth the instruction to open up just when oxygen saturation is that low. Yeah, which means, I'm, I'm not, I'm which not, means, uh, I've read it in some. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. So, so just to, to add a little bit of context, I hadn't come across that. So our normal blood oxygen saturation is between 95 to 99%. Now it takes a huge drop to get your oxygen below 60%. And there's a risk that the body's passing out. So what you're saying is that when the blood oxygen saturation goes so low that you're at risk of passing out, that the brain sends the signal to the mouth to mouth open. Yeah. Which means that when you're in 90, 87, you should breathe through. I mean, your body should be breathing through the mouth. I mean, we nose. are. So nose, I'm sorry. You're, you you should be breathing breathing through your nose. Mm, I think it's a very natural thing to do. I'm just going to, because I suppose Daniel and uh, Shamina, people will be wondering, how do you, how would you identify then dysfunctional breathing if you were working with tennis players? And this idea here, this is based on the control pause from Buteco methods. It's the both score in the oxygen advantage because it's difficult to have a screening tool. So imagine you have five tennis players in front of you and you want to identify, do they have functional breathing or dysfunctional breathing? This professor here, he's professor of physical therapy and he recruited 51 subjects to this study. 27 were female, they're 27 years of age. He looked at their breathing across three dimensions, the same three dimensions that it's very important to work with breathing, not just the biomechanical dimension, but he looked at their breathing from capnography, that's CO2, that's the biochemical dimension, the biomechanical dimension using the high-low test. And he also tested it from a psychophysiological psychophysiological dimension using the Nijmegen questionnaires and the, the self-evaluation of breathing symptoms questionnaire. His conclusion, so out of the 51 subjects, only five had normal breathing, 10%. So it's pretty similar to the others. Uh, 14 failed at least one measure, 20 failed at least two, and 12 failed all three. Even if we were just to hone in on this, 12 out of 50, 25% of this population had dysfunctional breathing, one in four. That's something to be considered. And he then looked at, well, it's very cumbersome to just to identify dysfunctional breathing. We you you wouldn't have the time to test her CO2, to look at a biomechanical dimension, etc. Breath hold time. So the bowl score. And if your bowl score is less than 25 seconds, then there's an 89% chance that your breathing is dysfunctional. Or if your bowl score is above 25 seconds, there's an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. So we need to talk about, you know, having a simple tool that coaches can hone in on, you know, especially if, for example, because breathing is just one of those things that's difficult to pick up on. 
You know, it's quite subtle. It's not that we're looking at somebody having a panic attack. They're not going into the throes of faster and harder breathing. That's acute hyperventilation. But what about somebody with subtle chronic hyperventilation? Their breathing is a little bit faster. Their breathing is upper chest. They're stopping breathing. They've got irregular breathing patterns. Their mouth is open. Sit the athletes down. Let their breathing settle for five minutes. Ask them to take a normal breath in through the nose, out through the nose, pinch the nose, and time it in seconds how long they can hold their breath for until they feel the first definite desire to breathe. And when they let go, their breathing should be normal. And you're looking for that figure to be 25 seconds plus. Now, a lot of athletes are less than that. What do you see when you're working with your groups? What sort of bolt scores do you see? I think it's worthwhile because it kind of makes it a little bit more easy to identify. Do you want to kick off or should I? Okay. If one, I can, I can share. I, I've had around, I mean, right now I'm working like around 12 individuals. I have a group like around 30. And among the 12s, which are where I'm working individually, there's only been one. There's only one when we started that the bold score was around 23. And they're all tennis players. Most of them are 15. I even had a, like an 11 or 12. And there's one thing also, which I work a lot, also and it's very important, is the awareness, how hard it is for them to really be conscious of that first need of taking a breath in. That's like the second part of the of, of, of what we do also, just making them aware and be, be just aware of how it feels, that first breath they need to take. So that's pretty much like the ratio I've had, only one. Only one out of the ones I have right now that are around 12, only one. And it's hard for them to believe. I mean, I mean, are you really being serious? I'm, I, I'm, yeah, that's dysfunctional. We have to start working. So the high performance breathing training has to wait for a while because we have to first make it functional. Out of the yeah, court. I think I think it's taken. A, I think the issue is it's taken as a given. People don't always look out. They 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 don't uh, even think about that uh, breathing, uh, functional breathing, or how you breathe is a problem. They they I think they recognize when once you get tired, you're you're out of breath. You you kind of know that intuitively. Like okay, I'm out of breath, but you don't necessarily think that that can be improved. So I think looking at those studies, Patrick, it seems like you need really need to you know start with the foundation really need to start with the foundation how to breathe you know nose light slow and deep and increase the bolt score and then go more and more you know build up the co2 tolerance with breath holds slowly and preferably i would do outside of the tennis courts and then move it into the tennis court uh I'm, there's not a set way of doing it but that's just the, the way i do it. so it, it seems to me if you if 90 95 percent even if it was 70 percent or 50 percent if that figure is even remotely close, you really need to start with foundations. Uh, if it was anything else like muscles or anything else, people would of course get it because if your legs were too too weak or anything else, it would be with nutrition, it'd be if you were eating in a certain way. But with breathing, I think it's coming into light now that it's important and you need to have functional breathing. But up until the last few years, I don't think most people uh, recognize it at all but it's been an avalanche the last two or three years and you know better than i do patrick because you've seen it for a much longer time 
And the progression, I guess, right now is much faster. It's been, you know, there's always been people doing it, but the last few years you see a lot more, and that's that's just what we see. Then you then you know there's there is a a shadow number, a lot more that don't want to tell people that they're doing it. Uh, plus, you don't even see it sometimes. If you're breathing light, you, if you see somebody just sitting there, you don't know that they're doing uh, a breathing exercise. So yeah, so I have similar. Uh, I think Patrick, your data is probably better than mine, but I think that there's a percentage, I don't know, 10, 20% that have functional breathing, I would say a little bit higher with athletes, I would say than those studies, that's not a, the data set is not big enough, but I would say a little bit bigger, but most of them are just like normal people, most of them, uh, pro athletes. Uh, so I don't know what your, what your thoughts are on that, Patrick. I think it's really, really common. Um, I do agree that there's a greater awareness of of breathing at the moment, which is, it's amazing. Um, and it needs to get out there. It reminds me of, I'm looking for a photograph of a runner called Sonia Ross Richards, because sometimes that photograph can be more telling in what we're trying to, to achieve. Now, hopefully this does a share screen. Do you see that photograph there? Yes. So yeah. here we have, I believe she's a 400 meter sprinter. Now, she has her mouth closed there. The picture is slightly pixelated. She's a really tremendous, well-developed jaw structure, nasal airway. But she's sprinting during competition here with her mouth closed. This is a, a prime example. Look at how effortless it is. This is the ability of the body to be able to do more with less. Now. I doubt she's doing any breathing training. I think she has a natural ability here. But the thing about breathing is that it can be trained. Now, look at the effort of the Russian lady and also of the other athlete. You can really see the strain on their faces. And for women, women's breathing, as Daniel was pointing out, is different to men. Women have a lot more work to do when it comes to breathing during physical exercise because they have narrow airways and airflow is more turbulent. And... Another aspect is that with females is because of the monthly cycle and hormonal changes. Now, I can only think about what's the practical application then of young tennis players or any age tennis players going into competition. Will they be affected by nerves before they go out on the court? You know, like what things that can they do and um, what how are they sleeping the night before? Because, of course, breathing plays a role there in terms of down regulation, nasal breathing to get a good night's sleep, waking up feeling alert. What about do some tennis players get distracted? Um, you know, do they lose focus and concentration? You, you're working with tennis players. Are they trained how to concentrate? Are they trained how to focus? Are they trained how to be able to self-regulate? Do, do, does that ever come into discussion? I'm not no. talking from a psychological point of view. No. That's all good. I'm talking about the ability to self-regulate from a physiological point of view. Because sometimes people will say, yes, we have a psychologist. Unless the psychologist is trained very deeply in different breathing techniques. And it's not just about telling somebody to take a full deep breath or take a deep breath for yourself. You have nerves there, take a deep breath. It could be the worst thing possible that you could say. So what are your thoughts on it in terms of the taking it to now? Yeah, well, I, I think that 
from my stuff, I, I there there is probably a handful out there of the pros that are doing more or less, but there is not on a not certainly not on a massive scale. And if you bring up that photo again, Patrick, it was just one thing I'm reflecting on as uh, more that's more more uh, also interesting for a, for a tennis player. Looking at that photo, if you look at the, I don't know if it means anything, but look at the hands for the two women on the left side and look at her hands on the right side with, with the closed mouth. If you imagine playing tennis and you 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 get really, really agitated, you try to, I, I know from playing tennis when you get really nervous uh, and you can't even hold your racket, that, that you know, you get really anxious. When I was playing, I'm sure you, my breathing pattern was way off when you get anxious. And if you cram the racket, you can't hit with pace. If you see a player also, if you're really in tune, especially like someone like Federer, they barely hold a racket when they serve right before. They're so loose and they're so relaxed versus when you get real nervous, you really latch onto racket, just like, you know, so your whole body cramps up. So it's it's not just a face, it's, you know, the complete, you know, the complete physiology. So uh, just looking at her, uh, she looks so relaxed, and that's amazing. When you're if you're running 400 meters to be relaxed, one of the toughest things you can do. So that's you know for tennis players to be relaxed is super important mentally, emotionally, and physically. So, uh, but I don't I don't see I, I, I'm I'm guessing a handful of top players. That's it. Uh, I don't know what what your thoughts are. I think that's I mean Djokovic mentioned mentions it mentions it a lot. Resilience. Capacity to recover as fast as you can going back. I mean, he he can feel his emotions, be there for a while and come back. And what I tell my the players I work with is, I mean, practicing your breathing, I mean, doing your exercises is the best way to train your mind to come back. Just make it come back. Train your brain to to be just where you need it to be. You work with your with your breath, with your breathing, to take it to your breathing, but then in the court. You can take it to wherever you want to be. I mean, if you if the senses, if it's a hold of your racket, if it's how you're standing up, if it's, it's your post, your posture, your gestures, and you can just go back to wherever it is. But you've trained it with your breath to be where you want it to be. So that not only the benefit of breathing properly and using your breath to recover your body, to bring down your heart rate, to calm down, to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, but also to just Bring it to you where you want it to be, the thought where you want to be, to look where you want to look, and it's through the breathing that where you when how you can do that training. Yep, I, I agree. And uh, coming back to your point, Patrick, also about uh, sleep. There, I, I know there's a study of ser serving accuracy and sleep deprivation, and I think it's just from one night. I I, I don't know. I think it was one night and maybe three nights that they tested serve accuracy from college players. You know, pretty good players, not pro players, but I'm sure you get the same results. So it's just not, you know, it links into anxiety, focus on the court, sleep, uh, performance, uh, physical abilities. There, there is, you know, uh, many things that link into breathing. So it's just not one thing, you know. So I find it, you know, and again, I think it's a fairly recent study as well. So again, it's uh, and for tennis players who travel a lot, you know, uh, with the jet lag and and all those things and playing very late matches, you know, disrupts sleep, which disrupts your breathing pattern potentially, and then it's a vicious cycle 
of you know playing late matches, not coming to you know going to bed, and then you know, and you you try to go to bed when you're have an elevated heart rate, and then you know it's 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 difficult. So tennis is one of those sport, any sport they need breath training, but tennis is definitely uh, one of those. You know, so uh, yeah. So in terms of because sometimes people might say, well, I sleep really well, and I don't have anxiety before going out, but how about flow states? Because I know this is something that you're interested in, Daniel. And I think this is a coveted state, really. You know, if it was, if it wasn't coveted, athletes will be able to reproduce it as well. It can be taught. This can be learned. Um, but I don't think anybody is going to access flow state if their physiology is in that sympathetic drive, that fight or flight response. And again, it's not as if they're having an anxiety or panic attack. You, you probably will see nothing. But at the same time, it's going to affect our performance, especially state of mind. And the other thing is sleep that you spoke about. You know, bring it home to us. Like if we have a poor night's sleep, of course it will happen to anybody. Are you really functioning to the best of your abilities the next day? Can you tap into that flow state? Can you can you bring your attention fully into the moment whereby your attention is moving simultaneously, moving with time? The action is effortless. The right action is happening by itself. It's almost as everything is slowed down. And this is really about the pinnacle of achievement. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because you know that there will be some a small bit of people saying, or a small number of people saying, I'm everything is working absolutely perfect. But let's take it to one level. How about the person who's already up there? Can we go that extra 1%? I'd say, Daniel, I don't know if you'd agree with me. Uh, and I was mentioning to Patrick before about uh, the final, Roland Garros final this year, Alcaraz versus Djokovic, where he's, his body just shut down. At the end for Alcaraz, that's what happened. He's obviously a mouth breather. He's just absolute dysfunctional breathing. I've seen him out the court. He's always with his mouth, with his mouth open. And his body... I mean, he's he's number one. He's number one. And even then, I really do think, I mean, no test made, but seeing him breathe, seeing him the intensity in which he plays and the tension he had in that final, just trying to beat Djokovic uh, and his body pretty much collapsed. He got cramped. I don't know if you see if you saw that final. Daniel. Yeah, I, I actually saw part. I didn't see the whole thing, but I do know that I heard it afterwards. And it, it makes some sense to me that there was a tremendous amount of pressure uh, leading up to it. This is a tremendous amount of pressure and then maybe anxiety. And when you have that, you know, before the match and, and during the match, because uh, physically, you know, he's unbelievable. So if it had been practice, it would have been, you know, uh, he would have been fine. But now with all this pressure, uh, so again, I'm sure that he would have benefited a lot from you know breath training, just like a few other players. But some some people have it you know uh, naturally, like like Federer. I don't I'm not sure if he's ever had a breath coach. He's just a natural gifted in so many places that that. Uh, but I'm sure that's played a part in his career as well. That he's very relaxed when he plays, so he can last long. He can hit the ball with accuracy and hits it hard. So versus some other players that really really have to will it. To, to make it to the same place. So, but it's so subtle that you, that's the, that's the thing. You don't see it. 
it's so subtle. It's almost like tennis shots. You know, if you're a tennis coach, if somebody has a good technique versus somebody who's really never seen tennis, same thing with breathing. It's it's pretty subtle. You think a foreign is a foreign, but when you see it, it's not like like Patrick said. It's not a panic attack versus good breathing. It's more subtle. It's like an interval of very good to good to moderate to you know a little bit below moderate to bad to very bad. So and and that whole spectrum. And the thing is, if you're medium or below and you're a top athlete, you really have to will it. You really have to compensate after and before to be able to have a long career. I think that's the reason why some athletes, they don't last many years. It's too taxing on their on their nervous system, physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's why you see people uh, have uh, mental problems. We see Robin Sarling that we did a podcast with uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, could have been the same with him, Patrick. Uh, many, many other athletes, not just tennis players. So yeah. Um, so um, good thing to mention is because tennis, you pretty much during a tennis match, there's more time when you're not playing than when you're playing. So you have to learn what to do with that time because your mind will wander around and whatever is happening will take you even worse, will make you, you can tell yourself worse story than it is. So using, I mean, your breathing and your exercises to calm down during those many pauses, because you have in between 15, 25 seconds we need between each point, and then you have a minute and a half, and then you can have five minutes or even seven minutes if you want to go to the bathroom. And the rallies may be long, but they won't be long every time. So there's more time when you're not playing tennis, when you're not hitting the ball, than when you are in a tennis match. It's just a reset that you were, or, sorry, Shimon, I thought you were finished, sorry. It's just the reset you were talking about, Daniel. So say, for example, you hit a bad shot. You don't want to be carrying that throughout the rest of the game, so. No, I think it's like, basically coming back to, we talked about this many times, Patrick, uh, your book, Atomic Focus. The ability to let go of that point and just be fully present so the energy doesn't, you know, negative energy doesn't carry over. And I think that actually some players could use it in a positive way. Like I, I, I know what Djokovic in tennis is, his whole body posture and his whole uh, demeanor and the way he focuses when he really has to is for me unparalleled. It's unbelievable that he, you can see when he's going to win. You can just see, he's, he, he, you know, you can see it. Versus somebody like Nadal, who plays every point like it's his last point. He, he he does it over and over again. But like you can see, you can actually see the focus on those players. And that's I think that's a big reason. They're unbelievable. The mental strength that they have to just be able to sustain that over and over. And I think they're they're very good at being present, although they're very different. They're in different personalities. But I think, again, that's the key. The ability to focus uh, and they're they've been doing it for so long so if you think about the previous point you 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 spend a lot of energy on that so i think that is one of the like you said and if you spend more time not playing than playing that you know that becomes <laughs> that could be a problem thinking it too much in tennis is a is a problem uh i certainly know how that is so you don't that's going back to flow states when you kind of shut down the prefrontal cortex and you kind of you're just in the flow, you just you just act. Um, so yeah, it's it's obviously a very mental game because I think uh, I read a book 
there was written back in 1973 called The Inner Game of Golf by Timothy Galloway, but I think he also wrote a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. Yeah. And golf, of course, it stands out. It's, it's very much a mental game. But obviously he felt that tennis is too, unless he just had a love for the sport, um, to be able to put the critical mind aside that there's no room for thinking that really the tennis player and the racket and the game becomes one. Um, and the breath is a good anchor for that. I want to put a question out there. Youngsters, so you, Shamina, you're working with young kids as well of all ages. They've they've grown up with social media. They've grown up with uh, mobile phones. Do you consider them a distraction device based on what we were talking about here in terms of concentration? Um, what's your thoughts on it? Definitely is. I mean, that's that's a whole challenge because they're everywhere. Kids now are everywhere. They're here, there. I mean, so it's a whole, it's a it's a huge challenge for them, but they love it. I was speaking to a parent last week, and he was telling me, "Can you do more of that? More of the tennis? More of the 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 breathing exercises?" And I do tape them. I I use the myo tape mm. uh, in court with them, and. And it's amazing how the ones that kind of complain the most are usually the ones that have a harder time mentally in court. And there are some that they're okay and they just kind of flow with it and just, I mean, it's uncomfortable, but I can do it. But at the end, they love it. They usually come each time we, I mean, we have a week session and they come and are we going to do it with a tape again? Are we going to do it with a tape again? Because it's challenging and they like to be challenged. I wonder also, is it bringing, bringing attention inwards? Um, because to talk and to vocalize, we have to open the mouth. So when the mouth is closed, we're not in a state, we're not going to be having conversation. We're not projecting outwardly. It's almost that we're bringing attention inwards. You know, I can only think of, I know when I wear the tape, as soon as I put the tape on before going to bed, it's almost a trigger that it's, it's time for me to sleep and I fall asleep pretty quick with, with the thing on. Um, but yeah, so it comes back to if, if a kid or any youngster is practicing distraction all day long, are they automatically going to have the concentration that they need when they're going into any sort of tennis match? You know, you can't automatically switch from a state of distraction to a, a state of calm, focused, clear-headed mind is the conversation more, I suppose, we want to be teaching and showing that bringing everyday focus into your everyday life, that you're training your brain in the simple things, small things go wrong during the day, tap into your breath, slow down the speed of your exhalation, you're telling the brain that everything is okay. You get into a habit that whenever things go wrong during the day in your normal everyday life, you have your breathing there as an anchor. And then when things go wrong in the, in the game, during the game, you also have your breathing as an anchor. In other words, look at the, the big picture and don't think of just the competition in three months' time. The time now is to start bringing it into your, your way of life. In terms of the acceptance, I think it's great that the kids are, are enjoying it. It's great. Uh, the parents, most of the parents tell me, you know, Jimena, um, I love the program. But what I love most of the program is that what they're learning, they will use it when they're adults. 
mean, they're, what they're learning right now, it's not, I mean, it's great for the court and you can see they're doing better. But what is better is that they can use this for the rest of their lives because they know how to come back to the breathing, uh, train it if they want to train it, but just they have, they, they know they have this, this chance within them to kind of be aware and connect and calm down. So that's something where thank you for mentioning because that's something that's something that's been very 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 good for parents. I mean they love it. Yeah, it come, yeah, and I think uh, it's very important for kids to start as as early as possible to get the habit. And I think it's very important to the stress in itself uh, when even when they play the computer games. It's not necessarily bad. It's the ability to calm down afterwards to build to like you said an anchor to be able in matches to have that but if you don't train that and you're constantly up in a sympathetic state and you don't train to come down you come down a little bit when you stop but you don't come back to baseline your baseline of stress is going to be get elevated throughout life so same throughout every point that's why i'm talking about this micro resets or you can also have macro resets when you're longer maybe for days or weeks when you do a lot of training but these small breaks when you calm down and it doesn't matter if it's tennis computer games stress at work whatever i think uh, that's if you can do that that's a sign of a well-functioning uh, autonomic nervous system that you could come down you know instead of staying up and hover in a in a stress state the whole time and you can almost see it on most of these athletes that are stressed versus the ones that are not uh, and i think again coming back to somebody like federer he always seemed relaxed. I'm sure he got very nervous as well, but he is in, in a little bit different athlete, just like that woman who we saw who was running, you know, just a more natural way. And I'm sure they didn't train it. They just, they just had it naturally. Uh, but some, but you can train it. So some people, they do train it. But uh, how many, do you train a, a, a lot of kids uh, com combining tennis and breathing uh, at the same time? And what, what are the ages? I have a team that's the the youngest ones that are between nine and thirteen. Okay. Thirteen. Thirteen kids, boys and girls. And then I have is it nine and thirteen years or is it nine and nine, nine and thirteen years. Oh sorry, nine okay. And, yeah, they're nineteen nine to thirteen years old. So there's the kids and the I mean, but they all train together, different groups. And it's been amazing. They love the train. I mean, they complain sometimes because it's hard. But I, you, what I usually also tell them that I was telling, mentioning before is about concentration and focus. It's just I tell them, forget about what you're feeling. Focus on your tennis. Focus on your tennis. So just move your attention to where you want it to be, and not what's being. I'm going to what's not comfortable. What's disturbing you. So it's also a way that they train to focus on something else. Because when you're in in, tennis, in a tennis court, there's a lot of things that, that can take your attention, noise, people, uh, the court itself, the weather. The, I mean, there are so many things. But that's another way I, I work with and just forget about it. If you put your attention somewhere else, you will know you forget about it. And when they do it, it's okay, I, I forgot it was there. You see, I mean, it's possible. Ten the tension can only be in one place. So mm -hmm. just focus it. <laughs> That's true. So multitasking does not work. You know, it's 
yeah we don't want to be shifting we just want to be focused. what ages have you have you taught uh, kids uh, when, when can you start i get i've got that question a few times at what age should you or could you start with with kids and, and, and breath training in breath That's training a, yeah i work i've had even seven year olds but i do the really basics just they have them lay down and breathe i mean breathe deep and try to make them expand feel how that a diaphragm expands just so they start learning how it feels to because every time you ask someone breathe deep they always do okay (laughs) let's start from zero (laughs) so just having them play around and do a little of the of the i mean the the potato i mean the, Mm. the steps I for the smaller kids I use the steps. I mean mm-hmm. you do six six three uh breath holds uh, a day, sometimes twelve, because when they play tennis, they go to school, they don't have that much time. So they it's a game. Okay. I did 60, I did 70. Um sometimes I do the 15 paces and then try to slow down or sit them down and put the finger and just don't feel it's still pretty much like a game making them aware of their breath of their breathing and maybe not listening to it. And I have small exercises that follow, I mean, inhale, exhale, doing the eight, for example, or star inhale, just having them play around with their with a breath and see and attention also. Um that's like basically the but I don't I mean I teach them how to calm down in court, for example, and I teach them to go to the towel. When they're seven-year-olds, they're always rushing, going from here to there. But I start teaching them to slow down and do, I mean, pause and use, I mean, breathe, just kind of listen, pay attention to the breathing. And that's how they get started. Mm-hmm. No, it's very, I think it's very important because for kids, if you start early, like you said, tools for life and they can do, and, and then you have, uh, like Iga, who who had the, the mouth tape, I'm sure that a lot of the top players and other people, men or women, look at her, why is she doing that? Looking into it, that will cascade into something else in the next few years because people will find out how, ben- how beneficial it is with, you know, breath training. So you have different multiple levels. You need to start when they're kids and then you have athletes. So I think you're, you're seeing more and more of this uh, coming. So I think it, it's great. And also, I think all these biometric devices, maybe you know, everything from there, the pulse oximeter, but the door ring or the whoop strap that you can actually measure your night's sleep, uh, how you breathe. When you lay down and do a breathing session, what happens to your heart rate variability, your heart rate, and, and so on and so on. I think you're doing it to yourself and that in a become, you're becoming your own coach. So, so I think, and then you have more research coming out. So you have all these for coming in from different, you know, all over the place. And I think that, you know, so you can't, you can't avoid it. Yeah. You see kids doing it, top athletes, research biometric devices, and you see people on Instagram, especially, you know, not just athletes, everybody doing it. So you hit, I think, a, uh, like this tipping point at some stage where, you know, if so many are doing it, there, there must be something to it. And then you bring it hopefully into schools for education. And then that's, that's when it kind of mm-hmm. tips over for, and it's super important for focus in school and flow states so so it's, you know, we talk about tennis but it's you know it's super important to, you know 24 7 in all aspects of life i think so uh, it's, it's great to see uh, that it's really really coming 
more into uh, into the light, so to speak. I think in terms of the science, um, it can be useful. So this is just a page from our website here at oxygenadvantage.com. And when I scroll down, so say, for example, functional breathing, just your everyday breathing, we spoke about 30 functions of the nose. And it brings you through to, if I click on this, everyday performance, inducing relaxation, improving cognitive function, increased visual spatial awareness, much must have some role to play. Um, you're, you're having your focus on the world, especially, I suppose, in doubles. You're, you're monitoring what your partner is doing, but also you've got the focus on the game. Um, behavior in terms of smell, okay, reduce vocal effort, improve recruitment of the diaphragm, very important for tennis, increasing oxygen uptake in the blood, nitric oxide production, dilation of the blood vessels in the lungs, redistribution of the blood throughout, defense against inhale pathogens. You know, athletes are going to be prone to colds, chest infections. Is there a way to minimize this? So there's a whole lot there. We've got smell, we've got taste, asthma, rhinitis, uh, physical exercise, helping to prevent exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, better utilization of oxygen during exercise. So they found that the fraction of expired oxygen is less with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. And physical training with nasal breathing reduces ventilation. So this is pretty much what um, that, that Lady Ega was doing. This is by Dallum's paper. And if I come out of there, because I think it's it's because a lot of people, when they hear about breathing, they're a little bit skeptical about it. It's always very important to show that breathing isn't this left of field thing, that where possible, there is a good depth of science. Of course, we would want more and we like more, but let's look at what we have now. And then we have simulation of attitude training. So this, this is the peak performance. This is improving anaerobic capacity, boosting repeated sprintability. Repeated sprintability must play a role in tennis. This is your, your ability to go all-out effort followed by a very brief recovery before all-out effort. Um, overcoming exercise intolerance, aerobic capacity, improving running economy, um, etc. So for people, you know, I think it's worthwhile if this is your first kind of uh, dive into breathing, just to check it out. We're going to bring it to a close. And just in, in, in terms of time, if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, Shamina, how do they get you? Um, they can reach me through my Instagram account. Uh, I have two, but I'm working with Sona, which is Z, Sona de Optimo Desempeño. And I'm make, building up my website uh, for that. And they can find me there. There's the contact there to find me in Zona Optimo Desempeño or just Google Jimena Altran. There's a website and there's the connection also. And I'm in the Oxygen Advantage website also as an instructor. Okay, so. Yeah. And, and for Daniel, <clears throat> for people to find think, you. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot more to say. So I don't want to open well, up more though. But, but I think that going back maybe as a summary to say that uh, still the most important things are the fundamentals that you outside the court first how you, you know, nose breed light slow and deep you, that will get if you can do that that will almost get you all the way i would say because that impacts all aspects of how you how you are when you rest when you sleep and then on the court these micro resets that we're talking about and of course you can do more like simulated high altitude training and, and other things but i think 
uh, from our point of view, you want to start with the, with the basics, uh, plain physiology, but then you go over to, you know, how important it is for, you know, your mental fitness as well. So I think, uh, and then I think that oxygen advantage is, you know, that, that is what it's about, you know, 24 seven, uh, how to breathe, but also for elite athletes. So I think, uh, for any, anybody who's interested uh, as an athlete or top athlete, that's where they should start. That's my that's my personal opinion. So yeah. And for people to find you. Well, for me also, yeah, yeah, you can find me on the Oxygen Advantage uh, website as well. So, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's. Uh, so I think it's it's uh, for people that don't know, it's it's a it's a jungle with breathing techniques and methods out there. There's so many coming out that it could be hard to know, but I think. The oxygen advantage, and I guess also you can say the Bottega method that you have as well, really teaches you the fundamentals. And from there, you can you can go as far as you want. But I think you you want to start with the fundamentals because if you don't, then you know that's that's going to be uh, causing maybe potential more problems. Mm. Uh, so yeah, mm. Mm. there's no point in learning how to sprint if you can't walk, <laughs> or trying to sprint if you can't walk. <laughs> yeah. There's also saying with well, mentioning what Daniel was saying is uh, regarding the tape. I mean, you don't want to do that before even checking out in your fundamentals if that they're fun. I mean, if they're okay. You don't want to do that if you've never done any training at all in breathing. If you don't know how's your breathing working, you don't. We don't want you don't want to strain your heart and your body that way just because Ega is doing it. Behind what Ega is doing it, there's probably some training going on going on off the court. So that's something that's very important, the message to be out there too. Mm. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Thanks very much, guys. And Thank we'll you. close it at that. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Oxygen Advantage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review. The Oxygen Advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers.